0: If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to one-on-one with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your
1: podcasts. KYW Radio Original Podcasts.
0: These days, it's a little tough to associate Russia with pretty much anything else other than this invasion of Ukraine, which is now six weeks in as of today. And we've seen lately, there's been so much just brutality and death with the atrocities we've been seeing in the city of Bucha, which is outside of the capital of Kiev. Yeah, Jay, it is really
2: difficult. But at least for me personally, I try to keep in mind that the actions of one or some does not speak for an entire collective. And listen, there is another side to Russia. Russian culture has put so much good into the world. I mean, growing up, I would go with my family. One of our traditions was to go and see The Nutcracker at the Academy of Music every holiday season. That comes from Russia. And there's everything from literature to design, architecture, painting, music, dance, sports, ballet, opera, you name it. The list goes on and on.
1: We've seen this war intertwine with art in the city already. We talked a few weeks back about the Philadelphia Orchestra doing Fiddler on the Roof, which was unexpectedly timely and poignant. Now there's a Russian play going up at the Wilma Theater, and the director is from Russia. He flew over here just two days after Russia invaded Ukraine. I think I'm going to lie down on my sofa and look at the wall.
3: Not fly back to Moscow? No, of course not. After everything that I told you, I don't think it's possible
0: for me to go back. And we'll take a look at that play coming up today. I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Serka. And we're going to do so by catching up with Hadass Kuznis. Now, she's been covering so many different stories about the ripple effects of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And we're going to talk to her about a Russian director who's here in the city to direct an adaptation of a play by Anton Chekhov and the uncertain future that awaits this director once the run of this play is actually over. However, in Norristown yesterday, there was a major drug bust, like lots of drugs. This is no joke. There were more than two dozen firearms spread out across the table, approximately two point five to as much as four million dollars of methamphetamine, fentanyl and oxycodone, plus an extra hundred thirty five thousand dollars in cash. That is a monster drug bust. And five suspects were charged by Montgomery County District Attorney Kevin Steele. We have before you a deadly and cheap drug that is flooding our streets, crystal methamphetamine. All told, this drug trafficking organization is believed to have been responsible for illegally trafficking more than 800 pounds of methamphetamine.
2: Yeah, this is like something you'd see in a TV show or a movie. The big break in the investigation came when a man in Upper Darby sold two pounds of meth to a cop who was undercover in Ballot-Kinwood. And going back to Kevin Steele, he says that the meth originally came from Mexico and still was smuggled into the United States through a combination of the US Postal Service, UPS, and
0: FedEx. This is a drug that is killing people, not just here in Montgomery County. Um, not just in Pennsylvania, but across our country.
2: Yeah, the five men who were charged face over 100 felony counts, and their bail was set pretty much in the same price range as the amount of money all the drugs they were trafficking or involved in trafficking was worth in the millions.
0: Wowzers. It's amazing. You're somehow able to get drugs through the Postal Service, but I can't send gift cards to my parents without them disappearing through the Postal Service. Anyway, let's talk about some legal drugs here. We had KYW Radio's Mike Doherty on just a few weeks ago to give us an update about where things stand with the rollout of the sale of recreational marijuana in the Garden State of New Jersey. Now, earlier this week, Stockton University, which is down by Atlantic City, held a job fair for companies looking to fill thousands of open positions in the cannabis industry. And Angela Pryor was one of those people there, and she checked this out. And here's what she said to Mike.
2: It's new, it's exciting, and it's going to bring, I think I read, up to 50,000 jobs to New Jersey and up to 80,000 to New York. That's a big market. And I think I could fit in somewhere. So what do you think about the event? What sort of things have you learned? What roles do you think you might fit into? And I'm finding out there's a lot more to the industry than um, just selling. There are cultivators, there are growers, there are technicians, there are artists. There are just so many levels to this. It's changing. I don't want to say a stigma because I try not to uh, go towards that. But it's opening my, um, my
1: understanding of the industry. Now, we still don't know when New Jersey is going to officially start being able to sell legal weed. So sounds like things are in a bit of a holding pattern. I'm guessing the start date for these jobs is kind of TBD. We also asked Mike whether there's a database where you could go and find out more about these jobs. Unfortunately, there isn't, but you can always Google it if you search cannabis jobs in New Jersey on Google There are a bunch of postings that'll pop up so you can find more information. And Mike says that just about everyone is hiring if you're looking for an entry level position.
0: It's amazing how much things have changed here where not even five years ago you could have imagined a whole job fair for people looking to get into the cannabis industry. It's amazing the changes occurring in front of us, especially in New Jersey.
2: No doubt. No doubt. You know, guys, the Philadelphia area, we lost a good one. Bobby Rydell passing away at the age of 79. We all love Wildwood days. Whether you're from here or not, it's impossible to have not heard that song. I mean, he was a guy who came up in the 60s during the era of Elvis. Young
1: people may not have heard of him, but
2: hey, he was an icon in his time.
1: Look up the song. I mean, it is a Jersey Shore anthem if you've ever heard one. You know, talking about, and all I think about after school is out, heading down the shore to have a ball once more. Classic.
0: Now, he did have a handful of hits. He was in the Billboard Top 20, sold millions of records. And we heard from another Philly music icon, Jerry Blavitt, the famous DJ. He took a look back at the legacy of Bobby Rydell.
3: He will be remembered not only as a singer of rock and roll, but a consummate performer who performed the same way as the show business legends of the past. When you performed, you came out in a tuxedo. He did a 90-minute show, he did comedy, he played drums. That was show business. And he was fortunate as a young man, as a kid, to have that.
0: Bobby Rydell might be best known as being a part of the movie version of Bye Bye Birdie. And the block he grew up on on 11th Street was dedicated as Bobby Rydell Boulevard back in 1995. This this man left an imprint here in the city.
2: You know, guys, funny as it was, I was driving on McDade Boulevard last night and I drove past the uh, nifty 50s that's out there in Delco. And when I think nifty 50s, I think of artists like Bobby Rydell, like doo-wop, oldies, I don't know, and I was obviously hearing the news of his passing, and I was like, yeah, it feels apropos to drive past the nifty 50s and hear some Bobby Rydell on the radio. I also want to give one more shout-out, the great Fran Dunphy, back in the game at LaSalle University, a great man, great ambassador for Philadelphia, especially college basketball, and hopefully he can do his alma mater proud and get it back on track.
0: We just talked about the Big Five a couple of weeks ago, and now Fran Dunphy will be, have coached three members of the Big Five going through Penn Temple and now to his alma mater, LaSalle University. So there's an adaptation of a play by the famed Russian playwright Anton Chekhov that's opening next Friday at the Wilma Theater. But what will the director, Dmitry Krymov, who is based in Russia, do once this play's run is over? We'll get that answer from KWs at Kuznets coming up next.
1: I'm Jay. I'm Brian. I'm Sabrina. War
0: and Peace, The Nutcracker, Fabergé eggs, nesting dolls, vodka for centuries. Russian artwork and Russian works have been exported and admired throughout the world, and that's including right here in the city of Philadelphia. The Cherry Orchard was written by one of the great Russian playwrights, Anton Chekhov, and an adaptation of it is set to open at the Wilma Theater next week on April 12th. And to talk more about that, we welcome in KWW News Radio's Hadas Kuznitz, who's here to tell us the story about the Cherry Orchard's director. Hadas, good to have you on once again with us.
3: Hi, Jay. Good to be on the John Cast again.
0: So the Cherry Orchard's director is Dmitry Krimov, and he's getting ready for opening night. But that's clearly not the only thing he's got happening
3: right now. Yeah, he's got a lot on his mind. He's focusing on... What's going to happen next after the play? He's, you know, there's a war going on. Russia has invaded Ukraine and which makes it very difficult, uh, not only for the Ukrainians, but also for sympathetic Russians to live in their country.
0: And I think it's often forgotten that there are, a large amount of Russians who are not down with this war and who have been very sympathetic to Ukraine's cause because so many, there's so much crossover between Russia and Ukraine with family and everything else, culture-wise, a lot of it is very similar. You spoke to Dmitry through a translator. How was he doing? How did he seem when you talked to him? Just by kind of observing his body language or how he spoke, were you able to tell how much this invasion of Ukraine was like weighing on him?
3: Well, yeah, clearly this was... He was really distraught by it. You could tell just by how he was talking about it, how and, and also the content of the conversation about how he didn't know what he was gonna do after the run of this Wilma show. He he says he can't go back. So that's basically the main issue that was brought up. Like you're he's not going back. To Russia unless this war ends. He can't live there uh, in the way that he's become accustomed to. I mean, this is a very famous director. But, you know, amidst it all, he does have a sense of humor. And so we were kind of joking about this at the end about how, you know, he was saying, he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can do everything, everything. I can clean <laughs> clean, uh, the, clean house. the house and clean outside. You might have to. <laughs> uh, so we had a sense of humor about it all. But underneath that, uh, there's a seriousness to obviously, what's happening. And the severity of the situation was very clear in our conversation.
2: In hearing you talk about this, Hadas, I mean, just like, how would you even plan for contingencies if you're him? How many suitcases did you bring? What type of money do you have? How do you access your money if you are trying to be in a situation or you might have to be in a situation? We have to create a new life for yourself for an undetermined period of time. It's wild.
3: Yeah. I mean, I asked him, like, are you okay? Like, do you have money? He didn't really get into that. I think he's okay. I mean, he's a very well-known director in Russia, but he told me that he took a plane basically two days after the war began or right as the war was starting. This is, you know, obviously before sanctions and before the spotlight was on Russia and the Russian people. He didn't, like, plan for that. Turns out it was the last flight from Russia that was normal, comfortable, you know, the, the way everybody always traveled from Moscow to New York. And then everything changed. And, th- and that was it. That was, that was kind of like the end of his life as he knew it.
0: You mentioned he's a well-known director in Russia. What else can you tell us about his background? Like, where in Russia is he from? And when you mentioned he's well-known, how well-known is he out there?
3: Well, he's from Moscow. He's directed more than 80 plays. He's won several prestigious awards, including uh, the Golden Mask, which is a stage design award. Um, he's also won some directing awards. He was a recipient of the Stanislavsky Award from the Russian International Film Festival. He's worked with well-known performers and actors in Russia, including Mikhail Barishnikov. You know, people know him there. He's, you know, in the theater world, he's I would say at kind of the top of his career. He's in his 60s, so he's been doing this for a long time and in his field he's a professional that is well known by actors in that realm. Uh, the New York Times says he's, you know, one of the finest theater makers. So he has
1: a, he does he has made a name for himself. Hadass, I've seen this play advertised all over the place. Of course, you know, all the theater things that I follow. I don't know it that well, though. Can you tell us a little bit about what the play is about? What are some of the themes and how do they adapt this? Because this isn't the word for word, the original play by Anton Chekhov, right?
3: Yeah. So The Cherry Orchard is a story about a Russian family That's basically grappling with the loss of their estate. The actor that plays the matriarch of the family, Krista Apple, was telling me about the story kind of revolves around some of her decisions that she's made that were not the best decisions. And so the estate may be falling through their fingertips. But Dmitry Kremov was telling me that the main theme here is loss. The The plot of the cherry 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 orchard has has not not been changed. It's the same as Chekhov's cherry orchard. And the main plot line is the loss,
1: incredible loss.
3: I got to say that he was saying that that hits very, very close to home about, you know, loss is a big theme in this play.
1: It's really amazing how, you know, art imitates life even unexpectedly. I mean, this play had to be planned months, if not like a year in advance, and the timing is just mind-blowing.
3: Yeah, they I mean, they didn't plan for a war to happen. And so you can't not address that in the play. And so I did ask Krista, like, if they're addressing it.
2: There are a couple of specific moments in the play where we address the current moment of the world.
3: And I also asked uh, Dmitry Kremov. He he didn't really want to give away any secrets. But basically, the story is the same story, but they have to modernize it. And it's too big of a, of a news story of an issue to not address.
2: Where Hadas is the rest of the production coming from, whether it's behind the scenes people, actors, actresses?
3: Well, the Wilma Theater has a core group of actors from that live in the Philadelphia area. So they're American. Justin Jane, he's also one of the main actors in the adaptation of The Cherry Orchard at the Wilma Theater. He was telling me that because the designers and others working on this play are from Russia, that that really made an impact and kind of changed the mood of the kind of their working atmosphere.
0: When we're working on this and telling this Russian story, it's really important that we're honoring their voices, their experience.
3: And so this is a common theme, like every day they're kind of checking in with them. They're getting updates from family members. And what's also interesting is I was asking Dmitry about the news that he gets, and he was saying that the news in Russia is not the same as the news in America. A lot of the news that people get, he was telling me his family members and people that he knows it's all state run news. And so since he came to New York and he's actually getting the full scope of what's happening and um, he he's really upset.
0: If he were to try and go back home, how's it work? Like, Does he have any sense of when or how he'll be able to get back?
3: Well, he told me that if the war is still going on, when this show run ends at the Wilma, he's not going back. I mean, luckily, he does have a green card. He does have a son in the United States. But through his translator, he told me what he's going to do. I think I'm going to lie down on my sofa and look at the wall. Not fly back to Moscow? No, of course not. After everything that I told you, I don't think it's possible for me to go back. He has nothing to go back to because... He did have another production that he had to get back to. That's been canceled. And what is he going back to? So he's still trying to figure out his life after this production. Right now, this is it. And after that, he'll have to figure it out.
2: We've seen a handful of well-known Russian artists, whether it's ballet dancers or other Russian celebrities, speak out against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But I'm also wondering, for Dmitry's standpoint... Like, if he's well-known and established in Russia, like, would he have concerns about his safety going back, knowing that he was over here in America doing something for Americans? I mean, given the way things are over there, if I were him, that's something that would be in the back of my mind. Would I be safe if I went back home?
3: I mean, he was very clear to me that he wanted me to know that he supports the Ukrainians. Even when you walk into the Wilma Theater, they have a Ukrainian flag hanging from the marquee when you walk in the door. They asked him and he said he wanted that to be there. He wanted to be very clear that he he does not support the atrocities that Russia is committing. And I think even more so since he's been here and has, you know, had access to other outlets of information aside from Russia state media that he can say that, which is probably, yeah, like you mentioned, Brian, probably another reason why he doesn't feel safe going back.
0: Dash, you've been covering so many different local angles to the connections to this Russian invasion since it started six weeks ago, which is hard to believe It's it's been six weeks of this already. What other stories have you been working on? What else have you spotted over just through all the different stories you found connected to this?
3: Well, today I interviewed a photographer in Ukraine that's from Kensington. He's actually uh, Dave Uram's former roommate, our, you know, sports guy, anchor. This man is amazing. He's uh, a war photographer, freelance war photographer that's uh, in Ukraine and was telling me just horrific stories of what he's seen with his own eyes in Bucha bodies in the streets. And that's a a story that I'm working on for today. I also spoke with one of the chefs that I interviewed that went to work at World Center Kitchen. She's returned. She is kind of reflecting on her experience and fundraising and she's actually going back. She's so drawn to help that she's going back, even though she has a family, she has kids. Those are the main stories that I'm working on at the moment.
0: Now you can read more of Hadassah's story on Dmitry Krimov. By checking out the link in the show notes, of course, we'll also get it out there on Twitter, on our feed at The John Cast. Of course, you can also follow Hadass on Twitter at Hadas Kuznets. Hadass, thank you so much for joining us again and your continued amazing work on getting these stories out here about all the different voices of this invasion.
1: Thanks. Pleasure to be here.
0: I'm Jay Scott Smith. I'm Brian Seltzer.
1: I'm Sabrina Boyd-Serka
0: tomorrow, we'll check in with Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melworth. He's going to tell us more about a plan to address mental and behavioral health issues for students out in Delaware County. Thank you for checking us out and helping you get over the hump on this Wednesday. We'll see you again on Thursday.